Good evening, everyone. Many thanks to Danny and the team for leading us uh, so far. Um, before we get started this evening, I'm going to ask something of you, for which I apologize beforehand because some of you will hate me for that. Um, I want you to turn to the person next to you and answer this question. What keeps you from reading the Bible? Or, maybe to get more to the heart of the issue, what keeps you from wanting to read the Bible? Go. All right. Our passage tonight... Our scripture reading for tonight comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's going to be on the screens behind me. You can also follow along in the Red Pew Bibles in front of you if you would like. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting tonight our month of sermons that we've called uh, Reimagine Scripture, year-long sermon series that's called Reimagine, and this month's topic is Scripture. We're not in any way trying to rewrite Scripture or... I don't know, take the negative connotations out of the phrase reimagine scripture and you'll get to where we were trying to aim for, all right? Um, but let me start here. In 1667, more than a century, Keith, before Alexander Hamilton set foot in the American colonies, the men of the Virginia General Assembly were debating whether African slaves could be baptized and whether that baptism rendered them worthy of their freedom. See, in English common law in the 17th century, there was an understanding that Christians, being spiritual brothers and sisters, could not enslave one another. So the early colonists in Virginia, not being stupid, just immoral, were asking the question of whether if a slave was baptized into the Christian faith, that that act could be used by the slave to petition their owner for their freedom. They wanted to be good Christians and good businessmen. And as is sometimes the case, the values of those two enterprises clashed in a profound way. And the men of the Virginia General Assembly chose profit over faithfulness to Jesus. They enacted a new law in their colony that stated, The conferring of baptism does not alter the condition of the person as to his bondage or freedom. A law that stated the conferring of baptism does not alter the condition of the person as to his bondage or freedom. This was the first in a number of steps taken in colonial America by a group of people who would have all claimed to be Christian. Steps to fully integrate slavery into the theology of the American church. But it didn't stop there. 
It also included the way that the enslaved in America were read the Bible. Ministers in churches separated in the congregation black and white would focus on readings from Paul, not Galatians or Philemon, of course, but Paul's words that seem to condone slavery in Ephesians or laws in the Old Testament that talk about obedience. These are the passages that ministers would focus on and they would avoid passages in the Gospels and Exodus which speak of freedom and redemption. The men of the Virginia General Assembly and a great host of Christians in colonial America and beyond simply but profoundly inverted, perverted, and subverted three truths about Scripture that I would like to focus on this evening. First of all, that Scripture is a gift. Second, that Scripture is a responsibility. And third, that Scripture is a mystery. Gift, responsibility, and mystery. My suspicion is that some or perhaps many of you will have answered my questions earlier by saying something about the way the Bible has been misused. Either in the stories of generations past, as I've talked about already, or in your own story. Some of us have experienced spiritual abuse in the church. And the use of scripture by toxic leaders has played a huge role in that. Some of us have experienced guilt and shame because we've been made to believe that we don't read the Bible enough. Some of us have experienced confusion or hopelessness from reading the Bible, either because of a lack of experience with it or because we've been told that it means different things in different contexts. Maybe your answer to why you don't read the Bible or your answer to why you don't want to read the Bible it's one of these scenarios. It seems to me that all of these misuses and abuses occur because of an abdication of responsibility in the handling of Scripture. If Scripture is a responsibility, and I think that it is, these scenarios are all evidence that we as a church have been very irresponsible. But it also seems to me that our irresponsibility might just stem from a lack of recognition of the two other truths, that Scripture is a gift and Scripture is a mystery. When we read all Scripture is God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3, when we read that phrase in the 21st century, we instinctively think of the Bible the red one there in front of you, as Scripture. It seems obvious, I know, and it's not altogether wrong, but let's think about that for just a second. When Paul writes to Timothy in this letter, and Paul says, all Scripture, what does Scripture mean to Paul? I don't think Paul has his own words in mind. I don't think Paul thought this letter to Timothy was scripture in the same way that the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, or the prophets, Isaiah or Jeremiah, were part of the Hebrew scriptures. At the very least, Paul can't have revelation in mind because it hasn't even been written yet. 
So what is Paul referring to when he says all Scripture? I think Paul, what Paul has in mind is the same thing Jesus has in mind when he refers to the Scripture. He has in mind the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, the Writings, books like Psalms and Proverbs. And it's with the Hebrew Bible that I think we should start to try to see Scripture as a gift. From the beginning of the story of the Bible, one of the things that sets Israel apart from its neighbors is that the God of Israel speaks. And those words are a gift and a blessing to the people. From the very act of creation where God speaks the heavens and earth into existence, to the calling of Moses out of a burning bush, to the giving of the law, these are all gifts given by God. Some of you will remember the Bible story about Elijah and his showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Let me just set the stage. Elijah is a prophet of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he brings a message of the need for repentance to the king of Israel and to the people of Israel. Except the Israelite king and all of the Israelite people have started worshiping another god, the god Baal. So there's a showdown that happens on a mountain in Israel called Carmel. And here are the rules of the showdown. Elijah will build an altar, and the prophets of Baal will build an altar, and they will place wood on each altar, and they will place an animal sacrifice on each altar, and then Elijah and the prophets of Baal will both call on their gods, and whichever god sends fire on whichever altar first, that god wins. That god is actually God. This is how the showdown would work. Well, as the prophets of Baal begin calling on Baal to send fire on their altar, they begin by praying, and then they progress to shouting, and then they progress to screaming and dancing, and eventually they're cutting themselves with swords and spears. It all gets a little bit graphic. The longer Baal doesn't answer, doesn't send fire from heaven, The longer Baal doesn't answer, the more dramatic the prophets become in their efforts to get Baal to answer. And this is because they don't know what they're supposed to do to get Baal's attention, to get Baal to answer them. They don't know what they should do to please Baal. Maybe it's just praying, but if that doesn't work, you resort to more drastic measures. Elijah, on the other hand, calls on the name of Yahweh and appeals to Yahweh on the basis that Elijah has done what Yahweh commands. See, the commands of God, the law, was given as a gift so that the people of Israel would know what God requires. Even the law, those boring lists of what could be eaten and what couldn't be eaten, how to handle a sacrifice in the temple, what the priests were supposed to wear when they sacrificed in the temple. Even those laws are gifts. The words of God have been given to us for our benefit and for the benefit of all people. 
Now, earlier when I asked you to turn to the person next to you and answer that question, I framed the question in a very particular way. I asked what keeps you from reading the Bible. I didn't ask you what makes you want to read the Bible. That would be a positive framing of the question. Instead, I framed it negatively. See, I think actually naming the misuses and abuses of the Bible, as we started with tonight, is an important part of recognizing what keeps some of us from reading the Bible, or at least understanding the Bible, or maybe wanting to read and understand the Bible. But if we can come to this recognition that Scripture is a gift, our response to a gift is something more like gratefulness. A curiosity about exploring that gift. And not something that looks like an obligation. Maybe some of you answered the question earlier by talking about, it's been beat into me that I have to read the Bible every single day. And so every day that I miss not reading the Bible, I have the guilt and shame of not reading the Bible enough. That's something I have felt in the past myself. If we're supposed to read the Bible every single day, and if we miss a day, we've somehow not read the Bible enough, that is a response that looks like obligation and not like gratefulness. Instead of seeing this as an obligation, and therefore finding all kinds of ways to heap guilt and shame on ourselves and one another, what if instead we see it as responsibility. With the giving of a gift comes some form of responsibility. Jesus tells us to whom much is given, much is required. And so scripture being a gift means scripture also requires some responsibility. We have a responsibility to handle the gift of scripture in such a way that we are faithful to the giver. Faithful to the one who has given the gift. And when we talk about handling the gift of Scripture, we're referring to something like the way we interpret the words of the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I can see in those words, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, I can see in those words something of a responsibility to interpret and use the scriptures well toward the goal of good works, toward the goal of building up and encouraging the people around me. But the road to good interpretation is full of potholes and cracks in the road and blind spots. So we must be aware of as many of these things as possible so that we can either avoid them or correct for them. These potholes and blind spots come from our ethnicities, our nationalities, our education, our socioeconomic status, our gender, our families, and the list goes on and on. Dr. Jarvis Williams, who is a black New Testament scholar, reminds us that everyone has an ethnic reading of Scripture. Everyone has an ethnic reading of Scripture that is influenced by their culture. It's not just black readers or Latinx readers, but us white readers 
are influenced by our culture to read the text of Scripture in certain ways that we need to be aware of. Those of us who are American need to be aware of the ways in which our American culture changes the way we read Scripture, changes the way we read concepts like freedom. Thomas Jefferson isn't talking about the same freedom that we read about in the Bible. But that's something we're not always aware of. Our families influence the way we read and interpret the text of Scripture. The kind of fathers that are represented in this room. Not just you all who are fathers, but the fathers that you all have. Each of them will change the way we understand God as Father in Jesus' prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Part of us taking our responsibility towards Scripture seriously is naming these blind spots. Dr. Richards, who is our provost at PBA and a well-known New Testament scholar, he says that the most powerful of these assumptions, the most powerful of these blind spots, are the ones that go without being said. When we refuse to name our cultural assumptions, their power over our interpretations grows. Just ask the men of the Virginia General Assembly. But finally, although Scripture is a gift and carries with that gift a responsibility, we also must recognize that Scripture is a mystery. Because we humans are interpreters, And because we recognize our blind spots and our our fallibilities, if we're willing to recognize them, we must approach the Bible with some humility. We must ask that the Holy Spirit would grant us wisdom in our interpretations. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is the person who knows most truly all the mysteries of the Word of God. We will never attain perfect interpretations of Scripture. We will never know all we need to know to understand all of what we read in Scripture. And even when we study and learn and ask questions, we must recognize that we won't always be given answers. If the Bible seems like a mystery to you, Maybe the Bible seems like only a mystery and nothing else to you. You're not alone. Christians throughout the centuries have recognized the beautiful mystery of a set of texts that we believe are living and active. A set of texts that are meant to equip us for every good work. Even though they've been used as the basis for some of the most despicable works in all of human history. A set of texts that are written over centuries in a multitude of locations by vastly different people and yet are all meant to show us something coherent and consistent about God. But then in the midst of all that mystery, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. Over the next five weeks, 
we're going to explore different perspectives on Scripture. And it's okay if your overwhelming question for five weeks is something like, what does it all mean? We're going to reimagine our own relationships to Scripture. We're going to listen to stories from the Old Testament and stories from the New Testament. We're going to hopefully, hopefully, get a glimpse of the beauty of it all. Even if we don't land on a certain answer to what it all means. And we hope that you're left with a few things. First of all, a sense of the accessibility of Scripture. The accessibility of Scripture. And this stems from seeing Scripture as a gift. It was given to us. We have access to it. Second, we want you to have a sense of comfort and a sense of challenge from Scripture. This stems from seeing it as a responsibility. And finally, we want you to have a sense of curiosity about Scripture. And this stems from seeing it as a gift, a responsibility, and a mystery. We believe that Jesus is truth. And because Jesus comes from God, God is the source of all truth. And that therefore we can explore, excavate, question, and even doubt Scripture with a confidence that God's Spirit will lead us toward Jesus, the Word made flesh. We can have a confidence that if we seek, if we are curious, if we welcome the comfort and the challenge, that we will experience the life-giving breath of God that is in these pages. And that our hearts, because of that, would be bent more toward the servant heart of Jesus. That we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Pray with me.